from the biggest defense scandal in India to the Islamic revolution in Iran, from a row over issuance of British passport to suicide pacts by Gen Next. The four Hinduja brothers, Srichand, Gopichand, Prakash and Ashok, usually a perfect picture of brotherhood in business, have withered many a storm in their lives. But never in their wildest dreams did they ever imagine their bromance would brew such acrimony that could splinter their 108-year-old Anglo-Indian empire spanning 38 countries with charges of misogyny, misappropriation of funds and messy legal battles across Europe. You see, we believe in one thing in life and in our family. I think it's the only family in the world where we don't have shareholding. Nothing belongs to anyone and everything belongs to everyone in the family. And whatever we have, it is meant for society and it is to be given away. This seemingly innocuous quote, inspired by Alexander Dumas's ultimate bromance adventure, The Three Musketeers, is at the nub of it all and may soon lead to a split in assets, operations and $14 billion of their combined wealth that makes the Hinduja brothers Britain's richest family that's lasted for over a century from their shared family homes in London, Mumbai and Geneva. And last Friday, the laundry full of dirty linen got exposed to the public at large. It's very simple. It's 2014 document or a letter, whatever you might say, that was signed by all the four brothers representing the Hinduja empire to the effect that everything belongs to everyone and nothing belongs to anyone. So that was the family's philosophy, the guiding force. And very importantly, this gets lost somewhere that they will be the executors of each other's will. So that was the arrangement that they had sought. But what happened in 2019 was uh, Sri Chand approached the court through his daughter saying that the legal validity of that agreement is questionable and that they don't want to adhere to it. And that was tested by the other three younger brothers who also, I must add, at that very moment said that Sri Chand Hinduja was not being guided properly and that his daughters are not good enough to represent him. So the effect of that legal case was taking the family into the direction of a division and that's what the three younger brothers didn't want and that's how it all got started. It's Thursday, 17th of November. You're listening to the Hinduja Halabalu on the Morning Brief from the Economic Times. I am Arijit Barman. In this episode, we speak to the very man who was the first to make this high-profile but private feud public, breaking the story in 2020. That's Danish Khan. And ask him why the fight has become so ugly. Is there a possible room for reconciliation or the mistrust now runs so deep that the spat is bound to lead to a split and an ugly one at that too? Where do the two Hinduja factions go from here? And more importantly, where do the public sympathy lie in this battle that is fast emerging to be won against patriarchy and privilege? 
As per reports, Hinduja brothers are battling over 11 billion dollars. The three brothers, meanwhile, are quoting a 2014 letter saying all assets of the group are owned by each of them. Hinduja Group's patriarch and his daughter wants the letter to be declared worthless. A UK High Court has appointed SP Hinduja's daughter to act on his behalf. My former Times Group colleague from Mumbai Mirror, Danish now lives in London and his book Escaped the true stories of Indian fugitives living in London is a riveting read. Danish, welcome to the morning brief. Thank you very much Arujit. It's a pleasure. You're saying it's Shrichand Hinduja who's the patriarch, the eldest of the four who went to court or was it his daughters who actually went to court on behalf of their father who they claimed was very unwell. It's a difficult question to answer actually but on papers it was Shrichand Hinduja and they were the legal friend the daughter and the younger brothers challenged that particular action as well which the court did not accept so they agreed that the daughter can represent shrichand hinduja so by that judgment it inevitably means that it was shrichand hinduja stroke his daughter and that's how the matter has been proceeding in the chancery division so this happened in sometime in 2022 years ago and you know the entire feud came out in the open there were a lot of whispers before that all's not well in fact in 2018 there was a case filed in Switzerland where first signs of a simmering discontent probably in the family had surfaced but um, this particular matter came to force or came into focus in 2020 cut to last friday what happened last friday Yeah it gets a bit complex actually but yes the high court here a three judge bench ruled that the proceedings that were going on in the court of protection which is a separate set of uh, proceedings the records of those proceedings should be allowed to be set out in the public uh, which is what the family was not very keen about so the judgment in effect then allowed the proceedings of the court of protection case to be out there in the public which kind of showed more light as to what exactly is the issues at hand how deep is the divide how deep is the crack in the family and also the sad aspect that shrichand hinduja's interest uh, his own health interest was perhaps not given due importance as it should have and if i may just a little bit of context orijit you're absolutely right in fact i remember breaking this story by reporting in the mumbai mirror in june 2020 but that case was filed in 2019 in june 2020 the high court gave this order and because that judgment came out in a public way that kind of gave a small chronology to the dissent within the family and that judgment established that the daughter can act on behalf of shrichand hinduja once that judgment came people came to know that there are problems in the hinduja family it was building up as you rightly said but in the same month of uh, june 2020 gopi chand hinduja approached the court of protection and there he lodged proceedings saying that shrichand hinduja the patriarch the eldest brother who has given this lasting power of attorney that was challenged by gopi chand hinduja saying that that 
is not valid. So while the Chancery Division came out with a judgment affirming the daughter to be the legal friend of Sri Chand Hinduja, and then the matter will have proceeded further about the business empire, who gets what, and whether the 2014 letter is valid or is not valid. So Sri Chand Hinduja became the protected person. Gopichand Hinduja's application was to the effect that Sri Chand Hinduja's lasting power of attorney is not valid. So there were two sets of proceedings that started. But the same Gopichand Hinduja in June of 2022, which is six months ago, in the Chancery Court finally accepted that the 2014 letter, which almost resembles the three musketeers, you know, one for all, all for one motto, that is not binding on the SP Hinduja side of the family, which is his wife and the two daughters. Correct? Technically speaking, that is still very confidential. We don't know what exactly it spells out, but surely there has been some sort of arrangement, some sort of compromise that has been worked out. And there seems to be some dichotomy. Gopichand Hinduja and the other brothers came out with a statement to the effect that there is a compromise, the eldest brother's needs are taken care of. The daughters of Sri Chand Hinduja, on the other hand, said that the larger modalities of the compromise still needs to be worked out, although they are happy that Sri Chand Hinduja's arrangements have all been finalized. I'll get, get into that, but just for our listeners who are not very familiar with the UK courts and the, the legal system there. So, what you're saying is there are two major or two strands of cases. One is being fought at the Chancery Court, which is a more commercial dispute, which is division of assets. The other, which is at the, the Court of Protection, is basically about taking care of the physical, mental, and financial needs of the patriarch, S.P. Hinduja, and taking care of his well-being. That's that's a correct way of putting it. But what has happened is because it pertains to the same family, the main players are the same in both the cases, and of course, their interests are aligned. What was a bit unfortunate is that the proceedings in the court of protection somehow started mirroring what was going on in the Chancery Division. Because Sri Chand Hinduja was suffering from dementia, and he was hospitalized. But the issue was, after being hospitalized, there came a time where it was important for him to be moved out of the hospital because as the judge says in the judgment that the hospital was not the best place for him to be there because he did not require medical attention. What he needed was care and a homely atmosphere. And the family, it seems, Arijit, was not able to come up with a plan to ensure where Sri Chand Hinduja will go after his discharge from the hospital. And that was happening because they were not agreeing on a wider and whole host of issues. So the court of protection where the proceedings were on, the judge there we could sense a discomfort from the judge and also from the official solicitor who was representing the interest of Sri Chand Hinduja that A, there were reporting restrictions, which is usually the course, because in the case of a protected person, you cannot just give out details like his name or what exactly he suffers from and all of that. But the judge, in his wisdom, uh, gave out enough indications in his judgment that the family members were somehow acting in a way that was not 
keeping Sri Chand's Hindujas interest topmost, that they were rather aligning their interest in the other case, the commercial case, as you alluded, that was going on. And what was going on in the Chancery Division was reflected in the Court of Protection proceedings, which meant that Sri Chand Hindujas' well-being was not given the importance it deserved. Which is why perhaps initially the Court of Protection allowed the daughters to be his, their father's legal guardian, but subsequently appointed a lawyer to represent SP's interest because the court wanted someone exclusively for SP and that did not necessarily had to be his daughters. Or Jitan, that's again a very unfortunate development. So as we have been speaking, the daughters were very much there on record as someone who were representing the best interest of Sri Chand Hinduja. But in Feb 2021, actually, the daughters disclaimed the lasting power of attorney. So if I could just explain very quickly, the lasting power of attorney is basically wherein they make someone their attorney to take care of their financial and their other needs. So the daughters were the lasting power power of attorney who were appointed, but they had to disclaim that role in Feb 2021 after it emerged that the daughters actually used assets or money belonging to Sri Chand Hinduja to fund their own litigation and some other expenses as well. Now, by virtue of doing that, it showed to the court that you do not have the interest of the protected person at the top. And that meant that they had to voluntarily then leave that uh, position. And as a result, the court had to appoint official solicitor and there were further developments. I want to understand one thing. There were multiple cases filed by both sides in multiple jurisdictions. One of the reasons is A, they are domiciled in different countries. B, they run a global empire. In India, we have several listed companies, but they have businesses in the Middle East, they have businesses in UK, they have businesses in Switzerland. So now we are only talking about the London courts, the British law. Has everything got folded into two major cases in London? One is on the personal side, protection court, and the other, which is the commercial dispute. And London seems to be the epicenter of all the action. Well, yes, absolutely. London is the epicenter. and London is a global powerhouse as far as arbitration and as far as court cases are concerned, because simply because the parties concerned find the English courts that much more welcoming. And also, of course, the process is quite swift. But nevertheless, both the elder brothers, Sri Chand and Gopichand, are based very much here in UK, and that becomes the natural course the trial in the Chancery Court that was supposed to take place in 2023, and mind you, Arjit, it was going to be an eight-week trial. So you can imagine the amount of paperwork, the amount of barristers, imagine the amount of work and the amount of money that will have gone into that. And of course, apart from the fact that so much of family history and details, which, by the way, they have been exemplary in hiding away, which is the hallmark of a united family, all of that could have come out. So by virtue of this confidential agreement, that trial has been vacated in the Chancery Division. So we have to still see what happens next. The Court of Protection proceedings will still be on because Sri Chand Hinduja still clearly needs the court's supervision. Much depends on the deal that is being thrashed between both the sides. What are the details of that? And once that comes out, there might be something more in the pipeline. The Hinduja empire, as we know it, $14 billion 
and counting of combined wealth, footprint across 40 countries, close to a dozen companies, half of which listed, that empire is poised to split. Well, that's what observers say, Aurajit. It's very difficult. I mean, just to put some perspective, so one party spent, for example, 13.5 million pounds just one year on legal expenses. So you see the amount of intricate details that have gone into espousing their respective stand. Now, that enormity of emotions, which we get a glimpse of by the huge legal bill, just says that, you know, it's it's very difficult to really mend once the glasses are broken. You know, it's, it's, it's a very difficult exercise to get them all together. I mean, next to impossible. And the family has huge assets across. It will be difficult to have a definite sort of a controlling arrangement. And people say that the division is inevitable, but we, but we never know for sure what happens. Is there a deadline by when there'll be clarity? Is there, you know, and if so... If they fail to reach such a settlement, would they be back in court? So basically what has happened is there has been a little bit of timeline that I have managed to sort of, you know, get my hands on. So, for example, the heads of terms was currently intended to have taken place by 1st November 2022. But this is a crucial month. This is a month when that judgment has come out, which has shown the extent of cracks within the family. This is the month when they were supposed to come up in an agreement substantially on what those heads of terms would be. Inevitably, if any party is unhappy, it's anyone's guess, they will definitely come back knocking on the courts and things will start again. Unless, as I said, that the uncles and the elder brothers, uh, daughters, they come to some sort of an arrangement. It looks inevitable that that they will come back to the court unless there's a miracle in the offing. Yeah, but if they do that, then the 2014 document will not be binding on SP's side because GP has told the same court that the family has set aside that private agreement. At least it's not binding on SP and her two daughters and wife. Well, that seems to be at the heart of it because the daughters have said that, well, all that principle is fine. But in reality, what has happened is we have been squeezed out. We were struggling to get our expenses. I'm I'm paraphrasing, but things to that effect. And that has effectively happened because of this particular agreement. They said that worked against there. As long as their father was in control, in command, perhaps things were different. This is the traction that I'm getting. But now that the father is not in the best of health, they have been feeling that pinch. So it's in their interest to ensure that that 2014 letter or the agreement, whatever we might say, uh, is not put into practice, is not something that is operationalized. But of course, the younger brothers deny that. Danish, I want to understand, let's broad-base this discussion a bit. You live in London. This matter is going on for a while now. Where does the public sympathy lie? Is it with the daughters? Clearly, they seem to be the underdogs. Because around the world, we see that, I don't want to sound sexist, but people do, or even the courts now take issues regarding women, their inheritance rights, very, very seriously. And they override these family pacts, these private arrangements. I think even in the case of some of the royalty uh, or royal members across Europe, the court has taken a very contrarian stand and been very pragmatic about it. So what's the public mood? 
Yes. So, you know, no matter what agreement or arrangement uh, families or brothers or uncles and other family members might have, it has to answer the right things. Natural justice and gender issues, all of that has to be considered. You can't just throw them to the sea. Sadly, in this case, I mean, the first reaction, if we can, you know, use the British paper as some sort of indication, that actually did not show the entire Hinduja family in a good light. Because in this country, Origit, there is a huge issue about care about social care. So, for example, the hospitals here are full with people who do not need to be in the hospitals because they have undergone their treatment. They now need to go back to their homes. And that's the first thing that struck the British public here, that we are talking about a family which is the richest family as per the Sunday Times richest list. And there is a situation where the patriarch of the family, Sri Chand Hinduja, has been lying in hospital when that bed could have been used for someone else who needs hospital treatment. So that's sort of the first reaction that came from the British press and from the British public. So they castigated the daughters or they castigated the brothers? They castigated the entire Hinduja family because the family was together, they were living as a unit. And because now there were some divisions and issues within the family, they could not come up with a plan early enough to ensure that Sri Chand Hinduja did not have to live. I mean, there are talks that perhaps there is a little bit of gender issue as well because sons are looked upon as natural heirs as compared to daughters. There could be those issues as well. We can't say for sure. But but definitely it's an, it's an Indian family, again, that we are talking about. And those values and those cultural norms do come up. Uh, and the Hindujas are no different, I must say. And you've touched a very, very important point at this because a lot many won't recall that SP lost his son who killed himself along with his, if I'm not mistaken, either fiancé or newly wedded wife. In Mauritius or Maldives, there was a global manhunt because he married against his family's wishes, allegedly. And Sri Chand and his brothers used all the powers and influences that they had at their disposal. And I do remember, if I'm not mistaken, when they found out where he was and they wanted to actually get him back to the country, cancel the wedding, the son realized he was trapped and both he and his lover killed themselves. Tragic, it devastated SP, never recovered from it, but it also shows how deep uh, these issues are in these families. Well, yes, absolutely, Aurajit. I mean, uh, so I think uh, the lover, she didn't die. Uh, fortunately, she was saved. But uh, Dharam Hinduja uh, and the uh, lover, some say they, they got married as well. They entered a suicide pact uh, and they burned themselves. Uh, Dharam Hinduja was then flown from Mauritius to UK. Mauritius or wherever they entered into that suicide pact. Uh, he was flown to UK for treatment, but he sadly passed away just two, three days after he was, you know, admitted to that hospital here in the United Kingdom. But then that again shows, you know, the rigidity or the cultural norms that dictates so many of us, right? And those are things that are universal. You may be the richest person, you may be, you know, a middle class or whatever, but these are universal issues, cultural norms, adhering to features that you think are acceptable. And all of that did take a toll on the family. That was in the early 90s when this took place 
place dharam hindu job sadly passed away so yes you are right and and, and in some might say that there is an echo of some sort of a cultural norms because again shri chand is left uh, with two daughters now at the moment he does not have a son so there are talks that perhaps it's also related to to that aspect that you know there are no sons beta nahi hai if i may use those hindi words in uk do they actually see this as a fight against patriarchy well from what i understand as of now rajit it seems to be more like a problem within the brothers you know as i said the conception of the hinduja empire is one of these four brothers who have always been together and these division or these court cases are seen more through the microscope of that there's some problem in the hinduja family and that's partly to do with the fact that the second generation is not that well known so for example shrichan's daughters they are not public figures they haven't they are not largely seen in charitable events or in parties or they're not the social butterflies where they get that kind of attention in the press so the patriarchy model has not really been put in action so far it might change but primarily the entry point for the wider public here about the hinduja controversy is that there's a problem between the brothers so it's with these four brothers and there's some issue that's going on between them and they have not been able to sort out among themselves that has that has been the case to me it's not about the past it's about me wanting to know if these circumstances will be changed by the people who don't want this equality because all they're doing they're wasting our time in wanting to do this battle instead of using our time to create more economic growth and this way the families prosper more that was shanu hinduja the eldest daughter of sp hinduja from an earlier interview with me from 2020 at the economic times women's forum i also want to understand from you about the politicians historically the hinduja family has been very close to the conservatives james cameron a friend of theirs boris johnson a regular at their grand diwali party where does the tories stand in this case has they made any statement or mums the word whether from downing street or from you know the center of political power well the hindujas as you rightly said have been close to all the politicians i will say uh, you know they have faced problems when the labor party was in government when it was alleged that they used their good relations with the labor party to get some passports to get the british passports i mean subsequent inquiries did not agree with this widespread belief that they used their position to arm twist the government into giving them uh, british passports out of turn so they were considered close to the labor party they are considered close to the tory party as because of course the conservatives are in power boris johnson has attended the diwali uh, parties in the past this year's diwali party again king charles sent his key men to the party as well uh, the london mayor sadiq khan who belongs to the labor was there and so was lord uh, tariq ahmed who is a minister in the foreign office he was there as well and his diwali party is of course a sought after event people are crazy about getting a door inside the carlton house terrace but yes i mean they have got deep connections of course they meet 
presidents and prime ministers of various countries they host them in their uh, in the house so so of course they have a lot of connection but as of now it has taken people by surprise in the establishment as well because uh, you know i mean if you close your eyes and if you think about the hindujas what comes to your mind well four brothers looking so similar dressed similarly coming out the same stature uh, you know they show the love to the elder brother that's what comes to mind now that seems to be something of the past but i must add orji that they are still going uh, you know full power they're going to start this massive hotel right in white hall in the heart of england so the business doesn't seem to have been affected much and and as a family they've never you you talked about the labor party and the passport controversy they've never they've always courted controversy I remember the whole of 19 uh, i mean 90s and early 2000s the entire bofor saga charge sheets been filed in fact the charge sheet was actually filed and sent to london during vajpayee's era and vajpayee was a very dear friend of the family and it was said that lk advani the then home minister had torpedoed the diwali party and cameron and others were supposed to visit and it was a bit of a damn squib so as a family they've also courted controversy over the years of course subsequently the courts cleared them of the bofors case but do people in england remember those days or that's long forgotten well they do remember because uh, if i be correct i think there were quite a few ministers who had to resign because of the passport scandal that happened Peter Mandelson has resigned from the cabinet over a row that's being called cash for passports. Mandelson has been accused for acting improperly over the passport application of controversial Indian billionaire Srichand Hinduja. So they have left fairly large imprint on the political psyche of England. So so they are very well known, they have courted controversy, but London is also a global city where you have the oligarchs and you have the sheikhs and you have the russian czars and you have all sorts of people who come here who have courted controversies. They play host to to everyone to the high and mighty. but they also orjit are looked upon as very traditional indian family that you know believes in togetherness they hold the diwali reception which is an all vegetarian affair so i may add orjit now just reminds me that so gopichand hinduja for example attended those court hearings and you know he he did speak to the judge as well and the judge says that he he comes across as a person of immense charm and spirituality somebody who has good of his brother at heart you know so all those comments were there but not much could have been said or written and and there were tears in gp's eyes and as you said uh, they are indian at heart so he also in the court which astounded many actually sang mer juta hai japani fir bhi dil hai hindustani yeah that's that's right but origin that also takes us to a very unknown facet of the hinduja family by the way if i may add so is their involvement with the hindi film industry absolutely while the group was in iran they actually kind of pioneered the uh, films to be sent across iran uh, in some ways in fact they had a function at their residence here in london few months ago where a film journalist actually wrote about their involvement close involvement rather with the hindi film industry behind the scenes in the distribution world so much so that by the way uh, one of their holding companies is called sangam uh, and that takes its name from the raj kapoor starer uh, sangam uh, which uh, apparently 
accidentally helped them make some money in those days. Right. So it's a very close connection with Bollywood that they have, and you can't get more Indian than that. Absolutely. And over and generations, I mean, they have actually helped produce finance, export Bollywood to, as you said, Iran, which was a major business hub for them. They did before the revolution, at least. We are almost want to end this with the last question. What happens next? <laughs> That's the $14 billion question. Well, Aurajit, I must say that as per the Sunday Times, their net worth or their fortune is being put at £28 billion. So I don't know which figure you will want to take it, but that's the... I'm based in London and I read the Sunday Times. I will say it's a £28 billion question. On a serious note, Aurajit, I think much depends on what comes out of this heads of terms agreement. If the uncles are successful in telling their nieces about this is what we can work out and you know look we will take care of of Shri Chand he's our elder brother and uh, you know so there is a possibility that it all comes to an end which looks difficult because the intensity of the legal battle and the fact that it's a global empire it's a huge task to get things in order inevitably my reading is there might be more court cases and anyway the court of protection proceedings are still on so they might still object the brothers might still object as to what is to be done with Sri Chand Hinduja's interests, it's still very fertile. And as I said, that the London legal industry is quite inviting and, and engrossing. Once you enter it, there is no end to it. So it might still continue for, for some more time to come. It's almost like Hotel California. You get in, but you don't get out. Hopefully, hopefully they will, because these are private matters and sooner they get resolved, the better it is for everyone, every stakeholder concerned. Why is a four-way split so difficult? The promoter holdings are held through trusts and offshore entities, making it difficult to segregate ownerships. And then there are cross-holdings across the entire business group. Even the brothers' domiciles complicate matters. For example, SP and Gopichand live in London. Prakash resides in Monaco and Ashok in Mumbai. And a private Swiss bank, SP Hinduja Bank Privé, that SP's family controls might hold key to many of the answers. Here's why. This private bank is smaller compared to several of the listed Hinduja companies but holds significance for its cross-holdings. SP's brothers first used it to claim a power grab by the Hinduja sisters who they claimed used SP's failing health to go against their father's wishes. The daughters, of course, have disputed this in court. Hinduja Bank Switzerland, or as Bank Privé is also called, owns around 5% of Ashok Leyland, the commercial vehicle business of the group. Based on Tuesday's market capitalization, the value of those shares is around 2,200-odd crores. Mauritius-based Indusind International Holdings, or IIH, is a charitable organization whose emeritus chairman was SP Hinduja. Now, IIH owns almost 13% of Indusind Bank, the group's flagship, whose market capitalization was around 90,000-odd crores as on Tuesday. So as current market price, that stake alone is worth over 11,200 crore rupees. IIH also has investments in Hinduja Leyland Finance Limited and Indusind Media and Communications Limited. 
Ashok Hinduja, by the way, is the current chairman of IIH according to its website. The Hinduja sisters Vinu and Shanu also own shares as part of the promoter group of listed Hinduja Global Solutions, a tech solutions company. So nobody is not clear yet how these cross holdings will get settled. Both sides did not want to disclose the details of the private settlement that's underway. An earlier 2018 lawsuit in London also made public a dispute of over a billion dollars in assets held at the same Swiss bank by a company tied to Ashok Leyland Limited, as per Bloomberg's old report. So what's at stake here? Billions and billions and some more. Get the picture? And I'm just scratching the surface. I think if we start using our emotions, more like, you know, the power of a rocket to zoom it up, instead of using it for approval of others, that's where my power comes from. It's, it's very strange. It's just about this afternoon, I had a friend who's flown in for this event. And I said to him, I said, I think I've realized what is the secret of my power is that I gave up that notion that I need to be liked or accepted by anyone or even a man. And what helped me to focus is to say, doesn't matter. They'll always be there. But my own acceptance and my goals are far more important. So I used my emotional oxytocin to become a powerful girl rather than to wait for an approval of a man or anyone else for that matter. My take. The messy unraveling of the Hinduja empire is rising as the world is getting to know what actually happens behind closed doors of this otherwise private, conservative and sometimes rather secretive Sindhi family whose roots lie in one-time commodities trading before rapidly diversifying to Bollywood film distribution outside India. Today, the empire is global, vast and spread out, but equally opaque with holdings via trusts and offshore entities that make it difficult to fathom the ownership structure of the conglomerate's companies. Most dynasties around the world splinter after three generations, max four. In a way, as families get bigger and wider, succession planning and smooth transition is the most important job for the founding fathers. So division is not necessarily always a bad thing. How you go about it is the key. Family businesses always have a strange dynamics, particularly around selection of an heir. Look around, Ambani's to Tata's or the Piramals or internationally, look at the Murdochs or mining magnate Gina Reinhardt or the Koch brothers or even Lotte and the Samsung saga. Familial strifes are always a global soap opera. But in the case of Hindujas or even the Murugappas, it is also about gender. We are in 2022 and women must have better and equal representation in all walks of life and most certainly in business. Faster we realize, sooner we find our inner peace. You have been listening to the Hinduja Halabalu with me, your host, Orijit Barman. Thank you, Danish, for those lovely insights into the past, present and even a peek into the future of the Hinduja drama. Vinay Joshi is the producer of this episode. Rajas Nayak 
is a sound engineer. A big shout out to the rocking BCS Ragasu team for the signature tune that we are using today. Executive producers Anupriya Bahadur, Anirban Chaudhary and yours truly. We hoped you liked this episode. Do share on your social media networks. The Morning Brief drops every Tuesdays, Thursdays and Fridays and is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon and Google Podcasts as well as GeoSavan. Do tune in to ED Play, our latest platform for all audio content including The Morning Brief. All external clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners. Credits mentioned in description.